From our nation's capital, this is Naps Chat. I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter and make believe again from you. Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of Naps Chat. I'm Bob Levy, the Director of Legislative and Political Affairs for the National Association of Postal Supervisors. The post-Labor Day legislative and political activities relating to the Postal Service have been anything but peaceful. The fallout from last week's House Oversight and Government Reform Committee subpoena of USPS documents and communications is still reverberating, compounded by a Washington Post lengthy investigatory piece regarding past political activities of embattled Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, including alleged violations of federal and North Carolina election law. In addition, the Board of Governors held a closed-door meeting with the Postmaster General, after which the Board messaged a vote of confidence for the Postmaster General through Board Member John Barger. At the meeting, the Board of Governors meeting, that is, the Postmaster General alerted the Board that he was hiring a former Republican Senate aide, as well as a former MetLife insurance lobbyist and presently MetLife's political chairman, as the USPS's new Vice President for Government Affairs and Public Policy. Finally, the Senate Republican leadership has recrafted a pending bill relating to human rights to be its response to the House-passed HEROES Act, H.R. 6800, and the Delivering for America Act, H.R. 8015. The Senate Bill S-178 includes a provision that would convert the $10 billion USPS line of credit that was part of the signed-into-law CARES Act converting it into a loan that would not have to be repaid. Just today, which is Thursday, the Senate voted not to proceed or could not proceed with consideration of S-178, so there is no Senate response to the House passed H.R. 6800 and H.R. 8015. Our guest today is NAP's Executive Vice President Ivan Butts, and he's here to discuss these issues and a number of other issues that weren't on my list. How you doing, Ivan? How you doing, Bob? Well, Ivan, this has been a very busy week, and one of the major issues we had was a report issued by the Senate, the senators, that is, Senators Casey of Pennsylvania and uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts regard to delays in the mailing of prescription medication. Was this to be anticipated due to the, uh, the contraction of mail processing equipment and the implementation of new policies by the Postmaster General? Well, Bob, I think, you know, this is what we have been voicing when we saw this aggressive schedule for taking out capital equipment out of service from the Postal Service and the wholesale cutting of overtime or cutting of tea time for EAS we don't we don't receive overtime we receive we get paid additional hours if we work beyond our 8 hours as if you are in the supervisory role with the postal service so with those cuts to to those functions and the cuts to additional trips and and, and extra trips and, and and late trips you know I think it could be it, it not only was it anticipated it was also it was also voiced by us as a management association and uh, and the unions that you know we're, we will see delays 
in, in servicing America when you cut the infrastructure. As I stated before, this is no different than what we saw in 2015 with the implementation of uh, OWC, Operational Window Change, where you saw the severe impact of service uh, when you have these changes and these cuts. The one thing and we notice, and again, if history tells us anything, they're going to be even severer uh, for rural Americas. So what, what, what we feel as a pain in, in urban and suburban areas is going to uh, be magnified uh, tenfold in rural America. Ivan, I want to talk about these, the implementation of these changes. This week, the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee had a confirmation hearing for, among other things, nominees to the Federal Thrift Savings Board. One of the nominees is current Board of Governor member John Barger. At the hearing, members of the committee, particularly Senator Peters, the ranking Democrat, as well as a number of other members, questioned John Barger on changes that the Postal Service made in operations. They used that as a line of questioning for his confirmation for the Federal Thrift Savings Board. What came out of the Q&A was that the Postmaster General apparently did not share the policy changes with the Board of Governors before implementation. Two, he didn't share with the Board of Governors an analysis of what the changes, what the impact would be of those changes on the mail system, mail processing. And third, he has yet, the Board of Governors has yet to receive any proposals for his long-term plans for the Postal Service. What's striking is that the Board of Governors at a closed meeting, closed-door meeting on Wednesday, basically approved of, gave you a vote of confidence, as I said in the introduction, to the Postmaster General, despite not ha- him not having shared any of these plans with them prior to implementation. Well, I, I think, you know, that is and would be in line with how this agency in general has uh, responded even to uh, Congress when they've made inquiries that they, they give data, they don't give full data, they give no data, and we come back. We w- remember well the hearing where then Representative Meadows uh, uh, confronted former Postmaster General Megan Brennan on the on the 10-year plan and, and her failure, the failure of the agency to supply that as promised and, and how that impacted all of our efforts at that point to try to get postal reform uh, moved through because then it created this rift with the, with that Republican faction of the committee, which uh, Mr. Meadows had full control of. So, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I guess if you want to say it's surprising that they gave him a, a, a full vote of confidence, I, I don't know if I'm that surprised. But again, I, I think we have seen in the history tells us that, you know, the, this leadership of the agency sometimes doesn't, is not forthcoming with information and data when requested. And then even when it gives it, sometimes it's kind of smoke and mirrors. What struck me also interesting about the hearing is how Governor John Barger characterized 
the vote of confidence because when he was questioned by the chairman, Ron Johnson, about their approval of the Postmaster General's actions, he characterized the view of the boards as that they were tickled pink, I think is the, is the terminology. They were, that's more of an emotional term character adjective rather than a substantive one. Uh, yeah, it, it sounds like it. Consider yourself pink over an issue is more of an emotional reaction than than anything a substance. I, I agree with that, but I, I think also we we gotta. I I, I believe if my uh, uh, information is correct that Mr. Barter was the one who introduced uh, Postmaster General DeJoy to the to the board as far as a possible candidate. One thing I've said in the past, right, and, and that was a, even if it's dealing with advocacy, uh, with representing people, uh, is that, you know, when, when you're a manager, <laughs> it, it's hard to go to a manager about someone he's, he's put in that position because that's his guy. He put that guy in the position. So it's hard to get that manager to pull away from that guy. You, 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 it takes a lot to do that. And and that's the same in this situation, right? With the board of governors that, that Mr. DeJoy is their guy. So, you know, it's going to take a lot. And I, I think it's the, the, the a lot is building uh, with uh, some of the, the conflict of interest that have come out recently with, with his uh, XPO company and what he still holds uh, in that company. And now we have a, this recent article now uh, coming out about, you know, potential uh, election uh, issues. Uh, so, you know, the issues are mounting, but those are the kind of issues that have to come forward before uh, they're going to have to say, you know, you're no longer our guy and we have to give up on them. Yeah, the allegations, just in case folks are not following the report, is that when the Postmaster General in a former incarnation was the leader of uh, the logistics company that he uh, headed up was that he solicited contributions, which is perfectly reasonable, uh, on behalf of preferred candidates. But then what he allegedly did was he reimbursed those who contributed to those campaigns in the terms of salaries or bonuses. And that what is that is the problematic issue for which the attorney general for the state of North Carolina and members of Congress are particularly concerned about. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, again, he has his challenges and, 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 and you know, he has to deal with that. You know, we as employees of America's Postal Service, have we have a job to do and we're going to continue to do it. We're going to continue to deliver America's mail to the best of our ability, despite every obstacle that's being thrown in front of us to, to, to help help uh, impede that. Our, our employees and our managers are dedicated to the task, and we have rose to, r- risen to the occasion numerous times in the past to, to serve America, and, and we're going to continue to do that. So and I appreciate everyone who listens to the podcast. And, and, and with if you are listening now at this podcast, you know, tell your employees and tell your fellow managers that, you know, NAPS appreciates them and we thank them for their service. A couple of months ago, I had as my guest on the podcast Bill McAllister, a former editor of The Washington Post, and he cautioned us to watch the first couple of months of the Postmaster General's actions, 
good or bad, and compare them to the last time we've had a postmaster general come from outside of the Postal Service, and that was Marvin Runyon back in 1993. Interestingly, as we go through the comparison in the playbook played by Marvin Runyon and currently uh, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, one of the first actions, or not one of the first actions, one of the actions that Marvin Runyon took when things got pretty hot on Capitol Hill is he went outside the agency and he retained the services of the former press secretary to, from President Ronald Reagan, Larry Speaks, to do the messaging and to do the interaction with Capitol Hill, with Congress. And that was Larry Speaks, a high-profile Republican operative. Just the other day, the postmaster general announced that he had, as I said in the introduction, that he had retained the services or he was hiring Peter Pester, who was a former aide, legislative aide, to Republican Senator Alan Simpson from Wyoming. And he also works has worked as a lobbyist for MetLife and also as the chairman of their political action. Do you think that uh, Bill McAllister was something somewhat prophetic in his uh, musing about what the Postal Service would do or what the Postmaster General would do at the first uh, sort of speed bump he hit? Well, I guess you have to say, uh, you know, he was, he was, he had channeled uh, what he had seen in the past and, 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 and applied it to the future. And it came and it, and it did come to pass. So I guess he, you can say he, maybe he was amused in, in this situation. But uh, I, I, I just know that the comparison to the changes in the impacts uh, to America's mail service between, if you look at those two postmaster generals, uh, Marvin Runyon and now Louis DeJoy, have some similarity to them as far as, you know, uh, impacts and in, 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 in devastations. Now in 92, we, we lost a lot of uh, a lot of talent, a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, skills, uh, and abilities with uh, managers retiring. Uh, so and it took us a long time to really come back uh, from that. So you know these changes uh, that are ahead of us. Again, he, he he committed to Congress that he wouldn't make any changes until after the election, which includes closing plants, which we didn't even know was a, was, was a part of, uh, of these changes in the first place. You know, we'll have to see how this impacts America's service again if they continue on this course. As I referenced before, the Senate this week considered but couldn't receive the 60-vote supermajority it needed to proceed with legislation S-178. One of the provisions in S-178 was to convert the loan that was extended in the CARES Act, the $10 billion loan with strings attached, Treasury Department strings attached. It would convert that loan into, I guess, a grant. I would characterize it as a grant, but it would still have to comply with the same requirements for uh, applying for that grant. That really isn't sort of uh, kosher, is it, Ivan? Well, you know what? It doesn't address the, the, the fallacy of, of that provision of the, the $10 billion uh, loan authority uh, with the strings. Because if you don't address the strings, the strings are the problem from uh, NAPS's view. Putting the agency, more or less putting the agency under the Treasury Department in this, in, in this situation you know, it is not appropriate. 
And then really, for me, it kind of brings in the question, okay, so now are we a part of the cabinet again or are we not? Uh, I don't I don't know. We were an independent agency, but if you're going to put us put us under the scrutiny of the Secretary of Treasury, then that, that puts us under, I guess, puts us under that authority also for funding. It would provide this Treasury Secretary and, um, by extension, the White House with direct of uh, contact or we could provide them with information, proprietary information relating to contracts that were negotiated between the Postal Service and its contractors, including Amazon, Walmart, even FedEx and UPS. So they would be able to see those contracts, which really doesn't speak to the financial viability of the Postal Service because that information is available in the 10K statement filed with the Postal Regulatory Commission. So it, it seems almost nonsensical that these contracts would be come under the come under the purview of the Treasury Department. Well, yeah, I, I, w- I would agree. But again, if you want to if you if you want to exact some type of pressure over the wording or the the implementation of contracts, then, you know, you would have to see them first. So I guess seeing them is the first step and it may be something uh, bigger down the road. Our members should still push for consideration of H.R. 8015, which passed the House by a bipartisan majority last month, and that we should continue to communicate with our senators to get on board with that legislation, as well as S-4174, which is legislation introduced by Senator Collin with regard to providing $25 billion in emergency assistance to the Postal Service. Absolutely. Um, we've been we've been on various Zoom meetings uh, uh, up here um, because of COVID-19, obviously, with legislators, and we've been thanking them for their support in H.R. 8015 and, 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 and asking them to encourage uh, uh, the Senate to move forward and, and bring it to the floor uh, uh, for consideration. Um, you know, we're, we're working hard. I participated with some of our members as they held, we held Zoom meetings locally with, with legislators. So um, we've been very busy in trying to keep the pressure on support for uh, HR 8015. I mean, excuse me, uh, uh, HR 8015, and as as well as uh, continued support on our our bill for the MSPB rights HR five uh, nine five nine seven, and, and then our bill uh, 80, 8065? 6085. 6085. 86, 8, uh, 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 6085, which is on on the consultative and pay rights for EAS. So these, you know, we're moving forward. And, and keeping our foot on the on the gas and, and keeping our, our our hands on the plow, uh, as 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 they would say, uh, to to move our move our, our initiatives forward. Yeah, as this legislative session moves to its conclusion at the end of the year, these numbers sort of become more confusing, and there are more num- more bill numbers to remember. So we at times we sort of transpose numbers: eighty sixty five, sixty eighty five, eighty fifteen, seventy fifteen. It gets really confusing, and if it's confusing for us, we can just imagine how confusing it is to our listeners out there. Absolutely, because it is it, it's gotten a lot, and that's something I have said also is that we, I've 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 been up here since 2014, blessed to do this job for our association, and I've never seen us 
uh, session with so many bills uh, related to postal uh, being introduced and, 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 and just out there. So we, we, we've been very busy. You guys have been active. Our grassroots network has been very active and influential this, this session, and I, and I greatly, greatly appreciate it. I look forward to next session and, and what we can do moving postal issues forward and again it all centers around november in, in our in our elections but uh I, i'm optimistic that we'll be able to to take what we have done this year in growing our grassroots base in activities and catapult that into the next session and make some great things happen for america's postal service and for the managers who work within it the last topic we'd li- like to discuss with you is you, you referenced the Zoom meetings we're having with our members and how we're introducing our members to candidates for open seats or seats where we are supporting them against members of Congress who have not been as supportive as they ought to be on uh, NAP's issues. And uh, we've been on a series of, uh, like over the past week, I can you know say we've been with Cam- Dr. Cameron Webb from suburban rural Virginia, down near Charlottesville. We've been on with Christy Smith from California, with mm-hmm. Kathleen Williams from Montana, Rita Hunt from Iowa, Jackie Gordon from New York. It's just not me and you talking with these candidates. We're involving our members in the discussion with these members about issues that are of concern to them, our members. Can you talk a little bit about what we look for in a candidate and how we look for our members to interact with candidates who are not yet in the House of Representatives or in the United States Senate. Yeah, let me speak to the to our members first. You know, one of the things when I came, when I was uh, elected in 2014, I, I said I wanted to do is I wanted our grassroots efforts to, to increase. I wanted to change the dynamic of how we meet. I think what we do up here in D.C., we do a, a, a great job up here on the Beltway. Um, Bob and I and and Bruce Moyer and before him, uh, for uh, Katie Maddox and then uh, Elliot Freeman before him. We did a tremendous job up here uh, uh, meeting with legislators, getting our issues out. And, and But I, I, I t- I've stated before that I think it's r- more impactful when we get you, our, our, the members, to, to meet with these candidates, meet with your legislators. Uh, they understand that uh, with us, we're, we're kind of lobbyists, uh, but when they're meeting with you, you're a vote, and you're not just one vote. For, for every one person they meet, they, I think that's 100 votes. Uh, equates to 100 votes for them. So it's important that they engage you, and it's important that they listen to you. So we we really like, especially with the new candidates uh, running, we definitely love to try to get our members involved with these meetings, these Zoom meetings that we're having. And what we're really looking for in the candidates is really how they're, they're, one, uh, not general knowledge of our issues, going and talking about postal reform and, and things of that. And, but we, we want to kind of find out what their, what their uh, issues are, what are the things they, they believe, what are the, and, and how we can champion them together. I think most of 
every every legislator you talk to would 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 say veterans' rights and veterans' health is one of their issues that they always kind of support and want to look at, which is right in our wheelhouse because we're in the second we're the second largest employer of veterans in uh, uh, in America. So outside of uh, um, well, then the, not the DOD. DOD is government also, but we're the we're we're the second uh, highest employer. Uh, of veterans. So, you know, that though those issues work together. Obviously, the the vote voting vote by mail and absentee ballot issue, that's something, you know, all of them are concerned about. Again, you know, we spend a lot of time re- reassuring them of our our availability and and readiness to serve America's uh in the election process, you know, uh even through this, but but also just to, to talk to them a little bit about the sanctity, the security of the mail, and things of that nature. So it, there are great conversations that we have with our members and the in these new candidates. They get to they get to talk to this member in depth a little bit, get a better understanding of where they're coming from. And I think we really both sides come out come out of these Zoom meetings uh, better informed and, and more supportive uh, of these candidates that we're looking at. Uh, looking at and supporting. Well, Ivan, I want to thank you once again for sharing your wisdom with our NAPS Chat listeners. And to our listeners, if you enjoy NAPS Chat, please leave positive ratings on the Apple Podcast Store and tell your friends to download our podcast. Be well and safe till next week. I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter and make 